It's awesome to see everyone here uh, together this morning. Let me pray for us as we go to God's Word. Um, God, I just pray that you would uh, use me as flawed as I am and use this sermon, as imperfect as it is, God, to change our hearts, that we would walk away different than we came in, that we would be um, forever changed by the truth of who you are, um, the truth of your gospel, God. Uh, Help us to understand how we are uh, to change and to grow and to mature and to become more like the Holy One, more like Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Um, Today, I'm going to talk about sanctification. But specifically, I want to share how the gospel changes our hearts, how it changes our hearts from drudgery to delight and from passivity to passion. And so as a society, we're obsessed with this idea of, of help, right? Think about, I was thinking about the, the things that I use every day, like Yelp and, and TripAdvisor. They're, they're people advising other people on, on how to do things better, what to buy better, how to go places and spend our time better, right? There are self-help books and blogs and YouTube channels that give us advice on everything from parenting to, to how to put on makeup. Now, everybody wants to counsel or advise, and there's no shortage of people looking for that advice, looking for help. And so that's why I'm so grateful uh, for the ACBC conference. And uh, there we go. There we go. Uh, How many people were here uh, just last weekend? How many people were here for the ACBC conference? All right, that's amazing. Um, just really great training on biblical counseling. And we're so, I'm so thankful for the teaching, and I'm so grateful that we're a church that sees value in being better equipped to minister and to counsel uh, each other and others, um, to counsel one another in the truth of God's Word. And we also want to be a church that, that helps equip other churches. So I was, I was inspired to see church planners and other Christians uh, nearby that were getting equipped as well. So I was thinking about counseling and how all of us have things that we want to change. And a friend reminded me of this clip, and I want to show it to you. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C- come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Still uh, being a very alive in a box. Yes. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh, no, no, no. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And uh, <laughs> let, let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes. And, and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can I can almost guarantee you that that our session won't last the full uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow. Okay. And uh, and I I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <laughs> go. Well, tell what? me, 
Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it! I, I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop it. All right. Now, that isn't to say that there, there aren't some who have real trauma and need real help realizing, working through... What is at the root of their anxiety? But we laugh, right? We laugh because there's some truth to it. And because we wish it was that easy, especially as Christians when it comes to the sin in our lives. And so that's why we need to talk about how the gospel actually changes us. Because there are so many other ideas about how we change or how we should change or how change works. The Bible calls this change sanctification. And so what is sanctification? Sanctification is about holiness. And so the Greek word for sanctification can be translated as holiness. It means being consecrated, being set apart, being unique or special in the way that God is completely unique. God has set us apart to be used by him. And so Peter says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. But the problem is that we aren't holy. We are unholy. We have a sin problem. And we usually think of sin with regard to impurity or evil, but sin includes being idolatrous, being unloving, selfish, lustful, deceitful, or any of the ways in which we don't trust God. Sin, then, is in opposition to God. It's what God is not. And so sanctification is also about change. It addresses the question, how do we become holy? 
When we talk about our sanctification as believers, it's directly related to holiness. The way that sanctification relates to holiness, then, is a battle for our hearts to be passionate about God and passionate about His holiness. This progressive sanctification is then a process of change to grow us, to mature us, as we battle against sin and become more like Christ, the Holy One. It's this progressive sanctification by both God and man that we're going to be focusing on today. How do we become spiritually like Christ? That's our goal. We do so by rejecting passivity in our spiritual lives for passion and seeing obedience not as drudgery, but a delight. And the gospel does both of those things in us. Open up to Galatians 5.17 for me. The first thing we want to look at is how the gospel transforms us from passivity to passion. Galatians 5.17. It says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may do, not do the things that you please. And skip down to verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so to be like Christ to be, means to be manifesting these fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And so understand that we're not saved by our fruit, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But a saving faith will have fruit. Those that have the Holy Spirit within them will inevitably bear fruit. That doesn't mean that a farmer can just leave the seeds on the counter and that his crops are going to grow, though. He'll have a plentiful harvest. The farmer can prepare the soil and he can plant the seeds, but God does the growing. In the same way, we are called to walk in the Spirit. And we're called to crucify our flesh, but not under our own strength. Instead, we are led by the Spirit. Biblical growth is growth that is done in relationship with Christ through the grace of the gospel. And so the question becomes, do we see fruit in our lives and the lives of those around us? Are we even, are we even concerned about that? When we were kids, we loved to be measured. We loved to be compared, right? We would love to see that mark on the wall or on the door jam move up higher and higher and higher. My kids have a sense of accomplishment when they pass up mom in height. Where is she? Where is she? They get there pretty quick, okay? <laughs> if you're working out in the gym, then you're always measuring and comparing. If you're trying to lose weight, you're on that scale, right? Maybe multiple times a day, right? If not, if not every day or every week, right? If you're sitting on the couch and eating potato chips, you're not really jumping on that scale. You might not have looked in the scale in months. You might even have a scale. <laughs> so how are we doing at growing more like Christ? In the Galatians 5 passage, verse 24, it says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and its desires. So how are we doing? How are we doing at crucifying our sinful nature? Similarly, Romans 8, 12 and 13 says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so about this verse, the Puritan John Owen wrote in his book, Mortification of Sin and Believers, he wrote, he wrote this to Christians, right? He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. I don't think that we have that view of sin in mind with regard to our sanctification. I think that we are good at saying as Christians, yes, we are sinners saved by grace. And that's a good thing. We get that. But which sins? We are good at saying that we're sinners, but we're bad at saying that I'm struggling with this particular sin, and by not killing it, it's growing in my life. Genesis 4, God is talking to Cain about sin, and God warns Cain. He says that sin is crouching at the, des- at the door, desiring to control him. Imagine that you're sitting down to dinner, the lights are low, and you hear this breathing. It's coming from the corners of the room, right? You're a little freaked out. What if that turns to growling, right? (laughs) Would you ignore it? Are you going to feed it table scraps? No, don't we turn on the lights? Don't we turn on every light in the house and go to the neighbor and grab a shovel and a stick? Sin is like a wild animal that needs to be killed or it's going to tear us apart. So, are we willing to dive into the grime of killing specific sins in our lives? Are we willing to get involved in killing of, the, of sin in, in other believers' lives? Because of the nature of sin to blind us to our own sin, we're often blind to our own blindness. And it makes real heart change impossible. But guess what? You might not be able to see it, but the other people around you, they see it. Because we are blind, we have to ask other people in our lives, what is really bad about us? We don't want to do that. Are you guys willing to do that? Are you willing to be that for someone else? We need to kill the sin in our lives, not only because sin is contrary to God, but because pursuing holiness, it brings glory to Christ. We are the namesake of Christ as Christ followers. The world is watching, and we're supposed to be different as a demonstration of the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit. The point of the Christian life is not, it's not getting good at hiding our sin. It's not just saying that we're forgiven so that sin doesn't matter anymore. We cannot be passive in our sanctification. Christians must be graciously graciously aggressive when it comes to the way we live. And Scripture uses words like striving, Hebrews 4.11, straining, Philippians 3.13, self-denial, Luke 9.23. We're to fight, 1 Timothy 6.12. We're to do whatever it takes, Philippians 3.11. And we're to take courage, Psalm 27, 14. This is how God's Word describes the Christian life. 
and their words of action and their words of grace. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And so Paul was empowered to act, not to be apathetic in God's grace towards him. He says that he worked his butt off. That's my paraphrase. Listen up. Some of you are prone to flares of anger, harsh language, and simply being unloving. Some of you, even though you're Christians, are prone to, in, to be ungenerous with money and too cautious about taking risks of any kind with anyone. Some of you are prone to worry and to rash statements and to judgments. Some of you are prone to stubbornness and not being able to repent or admit when you're wrong. Some of you are prone to jealousy, lying, and lack of integrity. Some of you are prone to manipulating people, even abusing power. You're not a team player. Some of you are prone to get overcommitted, inwardly comparing yourself to others. Some of you are cowards. Some of you are prone to divulge confidences and enjoy confronting others too much. What are you thinking right now? What is going on in your head? Hold that thought. What are you thinking right now in response to that? Because the way that we act or react tells us how we understand ourselves and how we understand our sin and even the gospel. Hold on to that thought. If you're thinking, yes, but I'm saved, so sin is no big deal. There's a distortion of the destructive nature of sin. There's a distortion of God's holiness, and there's a distortion of our relationship with God. We can't be partly married. Guys, don't, don't go to your wives and say, eh, today I just feel partly married. Don't do it. You're fully married, but yet you still need to work on that relationship still need to work on your marriage. In the same way, we are united with Christ, but you still need to put in time and devotion to that relationship. There's another aspect of relationship that can be diminished when there's the, there's the distortion of grace, this misunderstanding, and we're going to talk about it in just a minute, but that's this attitude that we can sin all the time and that God's cool with it. If God can never be more pleased with us, then we're oblivious to when we're grieving the Holy Spirit and we don't know when God is truly pleased with our efforts, even though imperfect, when He truly finds joy in the things that we do. If you were thinking, yes, but come on, Tim, I don't want to be legalistic, there's a distortion of grace. Legalism is trying to save ourselves by being good enough, as save people as saved people, we have the grace to confess and to repent and to be changed because of the gospel. Mortifying sin and pursuing holiness is not legalistic. We can't let antinomianism, this idea of, it literally means against the law, this idea of easy believism, licentiousness, we can't let 
that be acceptable in the name of justification in the gospel. Gospel-centered doesn't mean this passive, inactive approach to sanctification. Look, resting in the gospel is good and that we have peace and we have insurance. Yes, triumph over sin. You have rest. If you have found, as John Piper says, a superior satisfaction in Christ, if you now live in a way that sexual sin, that self-righteousness, that anger, that vengeance pales in comparison, is repugnant compared to knowing Christ, amen. This is rest in Christ, but not apathy, not absence, not, not doing. We don't get to check out. All right, I'm in the club now. I'm all good. I'll just go on with business as usual. See at Christ's return. No. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, this idea of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's nothing there that would lead us to believe that means there's nothing else to be done. If you said, yes, and, and how does he know my heart? I quoted that some of you, word for word from a talk that Tim Keller did in a conference. I say that because he, he didn't say it to his church, not that he wouldn't, but know that I didn't prayerfully go through the church directory and, and make out that list. But that doesn't make it any less true. I hope that you're convicted by those words. I am. It's difficult to say these words about others, others that I love. But because I love you guys, they need to be said for us to continue to grow in Christ-likeness. What if you said, yes, and I'm so embarrassed that I'm the only one? No. No, you're not. Look around. There's, there's sinners everywhere, right? It's a distortion of the body of Christ. And it's why we don't confess to one another like we're supposed to. We think to some extent that we're the only ones. Run to the gospel. Run to the good news of Christ. Run to him who says, because you are in me, you are sanctified. You are perfect in the eyes of God not to continue in our sin, but to crucify it. Why? Why run to the gospel? Because the gospel transforms our obedience from drudgery to delight, this, this response of gratitude. And so if your response was, no, that's, that's not me at all. Okay, really? There's bigger problems here. That's this huge distortion of reality. But when it comes to our sanctification, how we change, pursuing holiness, becoming more Christ-like, we can revert back to moralism. And here's what that looks like. We, we sin, and then we hide it. We cover it up. We deny it. We justify it. We minimize it, or we relativize it by comparing ourselves to other people. Why? Because they, we think that we're basically good people. If we see ourselves as good and moral by our own effort, then what happens when we don't do good? We're good people, right? It's just this glitch. We'll deny it. We'll screen it out. If you thought, yes, and I feel horrible, I'm in trouble. You don't understand or you have yet to trust in the gospel that says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get real with God about your sin. You can't be good enough, and sin is no small thing. Here's how we get the gospel backwards when it comes to our sanctification. God demands perfection. We look at our lives and we know that our behavior isn't perfect. So we try to clean up our behavior so that God will say, okay, they're doing pretty good. Let's let them be perfect. Or, or he's shown a good effort, so we'll count them as positionally perfect. It's actually just the opposite. Gospel is, because of Christ's perfect life, and saving work in his death and resurrection. When we believe that, when we trust in God's ability to save us completely, that's exactly what he does. We are restored through and united in Christ. Because he is perfect, we are made perfect. And the evidence, the evidence for that is that we hate sin and that we daily strive and battle to pursue holiness, to become more like Him. God loves us. He makes us His children. He counts us as righteous. And because of that imputed righteousness, we can spend our lives becoming what we already are, perfect in Christ. Hebrews 10:14 says, For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. By one offering, he, this means Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So that's us as believers. Are we concerned with the sin in our lives? Or are we just concerned with the consequences of it? If we only see our sin in light of the consequence it brings, then isn't that ultimately self-serving? If we are avoiding sin because it's embarrassing or it's painful, that, that's about us. If we think that the problem is our behavior, and that if we just fix our behavior, we can get right with God, then we'll try and clean our life up the way, same way that a college student might clean up their dorm before their parents come by. Maybe dust the things that are in the front, right? Put everything away. But is it really clean? Is the rug covering up a stain? Is a poster covering up a hole in the wall? Yeah. Don't open the closet door. Don't look under the bed. Unless our sins are causing us problems, unless our sins are bringing about consequences, we may not even be aware of what they really are. If we just adjust our behavior, it can actually mask the heart issues we need to address. And here's what I mean. If I grab this water, and actually, I'll make it a little more exciting here. I come down here, and I come over Andrew here, if I have this water, and it's open here, and you guys who were at Good Friday, you know I'm not afraid to spill water for the gospel, right? <laughs> All right. If I start shaking this water really hard, what's going to happen? The water's going to come out. Now, the question is, why, why is water going to come out? What's that? There's water in the bottle, yeah. So that's the difference. If, it, if, if we're thinking behavior and behavior modification and behavior change, you would say that, no, you just need to stop the shaking and no water will come out. But the problem is, is that there's water in the bottle. Good, delicious water. Not like sometimes what's inside of us, okay? 
I might try to restrain it, by uh, restrain my behavior by, by counting to 10 when I get angry, by biting my lip, but that doesn't change my heart. And it's what matters to God is, is what's going on inside of us. Where is our heart? When life happens and God allows us to, be, um, to go through some trial in our life, we get shook up and whatever's inside of us comes out. What does that look for, like for each of us? In fact, our, we can get so shaken up that our life gets turned upside down. If someone has a pornography, pornography problem, avoiding certain sites and putting filters on their computer might be a helpful precaution, but they never get to the heart issue. Maybe it's about pleasure, but it could just as likely be about selfishness or rebellious heart or a need for control or insecurity. The desires of the heart first need to be addressed and to have real and lasting change to our behavior. Answer this. How does the gospel, how does Jesus factor into our solutions to sin? Heart change is repenting and wanting to change because even if no one ever found out, sin is against a holy God. Remember, the goal is to grow fruit of the Spirit. This is what it means to be Christ-like. And fruit grows from the inside out by being connected, by abiding in the tree. External pressure from the outside, it creates, it creates hard, impenetrable things like diamonds. That's not how God wants our heart to be. And so what's the solution? We have to be convicted by the joy of the gospel. And so just in the same way that we understand that we need to forgive because we've been forgiven and we serve because God serves us and we love because we were first loved. We give because God is generous. We need to do that with other examples in our life. Here's an example with pride. If I'm upset about what people say or think about me, when I get upset because I feel disrespected, I need to remember that on the cross, you gave up all your power and reputation and glory for me, Jesus. The more we thank and rejoice that Jesus did that, the less I need to worry about my own honor, my own reputation, whether people approve of me or not. This is how we're to pray. If I'm impatient in traffic or with people, I need to remember in the garden the patience, the gentleness that Jesus had with those who fell asleep on him. On the cross, Jesus, you were giving yourself for those that were mocking and abandoned you. Ultimately, God, your patience with me is undeserved. Giving thanks and worshiping him is how our hearts are made soft. Being more patient and attentive to the people around us. Last one. If I'm anxious or I'm afraid, I need to remember that you faced the most unimaginable pain and separation for me. You were torn to pieces, and you went to the cross bravely, and you did it for me so that I would be completely loved and eternally safe in you. The more that I'm thankful for you, the more I'm calm because I don't have to prove myself anymore. I have new courage to face what life gives me. Jesus gives us what we need, the alternative to sin, and it's better 
and it's found in our love for him. We need to learn how to be better connected to the truths and the promises and the realities of the gospel with our sin patterns. Paul uses the metaphor of fruit for our spiritual maturity. You don't have to be a farmer or a biologist to to understand, to apprehend these connections. We have fruit trees and flowers in our yard, and if you stood over them gazing intently, you wouldn't see any discernible growth. Nothing happens. We don't see our growth instantaneously. We don't, do you feel like you're growing right now? And so, because we don't see it happen in front of us, growth has to be measured. Oftentimes, it will be others who will be the ones to notice your growth. And so I work with a guy named Greg, and, um, and uh, I've seen him start to go to church and get involved in his church. Uh, I've seen him start to read his Bible and get involved in Bible studies, uh, get involved in Iwanas at his church. And so he's telling me this story the other day. Um, he commutes every day, uh, from Orange County to, to Riverside and back. He, or we're in Orange County, so he goes Riverside to Orange County, Orange County to Riverside. And, and Greg's a really outgoing guy. And so he knows a lot of people on the train. And so what he's done is he's built these relationships up. And some of them go to church, some of them don't. But he's convinced 19 people to get into Bible study fellowship so that they're all studying the same chapter at the same time, and every day on the train, he can then go say, hey, what did you think about what we were studying in Romans? And he's telling me this, and, uh, and I'm like, man, I see you growing in Christ. And I had to tell him that. And yeah, it's like awkward because I'm emotional and stuff, but, but it's good. And I hope that you have people in your lives that are watching and that are saying, you are growing in Christ-likeness. I hope you're saying to people in your life, I see your heart changing in this way or that to reflect Christ. Keep going. When I get a chance to talk to our community group leaders, this is part of what I'm asking about and encouraging them as shepherds. How is your group, how are the individuals, and how are your group doing? Are they growing? Where can you help to put someone else in their lives to help them grow where they're weak? Where are they theologically? Because our theology forms and informs our worship. How are they doing practically? And their willingness to be on this journey with others for their growth and for God's glory. How are our people growing in godly practice in the pursuit of holiness? Where can you encourage someone who is growing? Have they grown to a place where they can start blessing others in the same way? Guys, this is how God works. It's real, and it's messy, and it only works when we're open to being changed by the Spirit and transparent with God and each other. Again, we need people in our lives to do this because we don't always see it. I think this is one of the reasons that we love, love old photographs, right? <laughs> Everybody remember their, their high school, uh, their senior photo? right? How proud you were. Look at that. That's a great photo, Adam. <laughs> and we got this guy. That's like, that's like blue steel right there, right? <laughs> and look at that dark hair. And then we got this dork. <laughs> Wilbur Kuchmeyer, right? Goofy surfer kid. You know, I actually, uh, I asked Rick, I said, hey, can you send me some photos? 
And, and he sends me this text back, and he goes, oh, man, I, I, I really don't have any. I moved out, and I don't have a lot of that stuff with me, so I'm sorry, guys. But... <laughs> and I thought, we have the Internet, right? Thank you, Internet. We love you. <laughs> All right. Some of us, some of us, I'm going I'm to be that person in your life today. Some of you, you need to stop being passive. And some of you need to rest in the gospel if you haven't. The danger is that we realize we have this sin problem, and then we find Jesus, and we realize that God loves us anyway, and then we say that we don't really have to worry about sin or holiness. No. This is why Jesus went to the cross, and why he suffered and he died. Yes, because he loves us, but also because God's perfect justice and the grossness of sin, there had to be punishment. Understand that sin is really, really serious, but God's grace is better, is greater. It takes away our sins, takes away the stains in our lives. We can only face what is still wrong with us because He has forgiven us. We can stand to face our sin because God's grace is bigger than our sin. Glory in the gospel. Glory in grace. Use the power of the Holy Spirit that points us to the beauty of Christ and then go slay your sin. Let me pray for us. God, um, we want to be people um, who live up to the name that you give us, this idea that we are saints, that we are holy. God, you've given us holy and we want to, um, in cooperation with you, work out that holiness with fear and trembling. We want to take sin seriously, God, because it dishonors you and because it ruins our lives. God, help us to do that. Help us to just become aware of the things that are going on in our lives, though they are busy. God, we have to look inward and we have to get help doing that many times. Let us be a church that is about killing the sin in each other's lives. Let us be a church that trusts in you, trusts in the gospel, trusts in that power so that we can do that. We love you, God. We praise you and worship you. And it's in that strength that, that we know that we know that there are sins in our lives that you want us to, to conquer, to stop hiding. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.